the box. Out of the box. Out of the box. Out of the box. Meet people through their music. With Ash Bertabez on FBI. Tune into FBI 94.5 on this pretty dreary Thursday, and I'm glad that people could join us in person. Thanks, guys. So we are broadcasting live from the character arcs today. Thanks so much for joining us. And if you're on your way here, we are broadcasting from the western end past the Anna Schwartz Gallery. So keep walking west and you'll find us. We're in front of the Biennale of Sydney exhibition. And my guest on Out of the Box today is, in fact, one of the artists exhibiting behind our little makeshift radio studio here at Carriageworks. His work at the 19th Biennale of Sydney is, I am the architect, this is not happening, this is unacceptable. And it's full of eraser-head-like imagery, energetic middle-aged dancing, and a descent into madness and or art. His name is Henry Coombs, and he hails from Glasgow, where he works across the mediums of film, painting, and sculpture. Thanks for joining us on the show today, Henry. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah. No worries. <laughs> Pleasure to have you here. And what kind of music do you have for us today? Is there a unifying theme at all? Um, you know, when people ask you, like, it was really good to be asked that question, or um, putting the music together, because people ask that really weird question, what music do you like? And everyone says, well, it's eclectic. But I realise I do have a specific area, and it's um, any music that's about men in crisis, I think that's... <laughs> Um, but 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 with the exception of Kate Bush as a nurturing maternal figure to help me during crisis. Fabulous. So yeah, yeah today you're tuned into the Men in Crisis special on Out of the Box and FBI. It, it's, it's eclectic, <laughs> but that's the, that's the theme. So right. now I can say that whenever I ask that name question, it, it should be its own genre, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And the first track we have is from Queen. I wonder why did you pick this track? Um, I was obsessed with Freddie Mercury as a child. Um, to the point where I used to have posters on the wall, the heroic, and it used to really worry my father. So he uh, came up to me once and uh, said, um, Freddie Mercury's not to be trusted, because I had a poster <laughs> of Freddie Mercury and Leather Chaps. And, uh, yeah, and so, you know, when you believe everything your father says, I was going around the schools saying, you know, Freddie Mercury's not to be trusted, <laughs> as in I thought that, you know, he couldn't keep secrets. I didn't realise it was uh, something else deep-rooted that my father had a fear about. But, um, Fabulous. Yeah. Somebody to love by yeah. Queen right now. Man not to be trusted on FBI 94.5.
just keep losing my beat. You just keep losing your beat. I'm losing, I'm alright. He's alright, he's alright. Yeah, yeah. yeah. On FBI 94.5, that was a bit of Queen. Wouldn't happen on your radio in quite some time, but I'm glad it did, and the man who made it happen is Henry Coombs, who is an artist, filmmaker, sitting across from me now, live at the Carriage Works, where we're broadcasting from out the front of an exhibition for the Biennale of Sydney that contains one of his works, and it's called I Am the Architect. This is not happening. This is unacceptable. And... Uh, it kind of, you know, it features a architect, kind of modernist type figure who descends into chaos and this kind of like, I guess, artist's nightmare or dream, I suppose. Do you use nightmares at all in your work? Um, or not, not directly. I, th- I think um, I, I was reading this thing about, you know, people's fantasies and their, their, their thoughts and daydreams are real. You know, you know they exist. You, you know, you you reflect on them they, they exist for you you know if you if you have a daydream or a fantasy it's real for you um but um yeah yeah they're, I mean, they're, they're almost like um i think that i often do sort of portraits of people and i think they're sort of psychological portraits really okay and the sort of inner truths i think but then i don't know what that is there's i mean i i, I sometimes i don't know what what i'm doing it but i'm following um why i'm doing it but i'm following it through instinct so is that why the uh, protagonist, I guess, is this modernist architect, much like your father? Yeah, because he had a very powerful impact on me. It still does. Yeah. And um, in, the, in the film, he does descend into this chaos. Is that actually happening to your father, or is that a sort of story that you wanted to tell for its own sake? Um, uh, I don't think it's actually happened to my father, um, per se. Um, but... Uh, yeah, I, I think it's a re- reflection of uh, maybe a, uh, almost like a self-portrait of uh, thoughts and feelings of making painting and processes and being an artist and what that can be like. And you've got a couple of really great actors in the piece, really, yeah. really amazing faces, facial yeah. expressions. Where did you find these people? Well, Marcella, who is a non-actor, is a friend of a friend that I met, and she, um, I think she's... Actually, it's awful to say a woman's age, isn't it? I think she's in her late 60s, 60s. Anyway, looking good for it. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> I, I went up to her and asked her if she ever acted before. And uh, later on, I discovered that she thought, she thought I was trying to pick her up. Like I was some sort of young man that was really into, as she put it, vintage pussy. Um, uh, that's her kind of sense of humour. Um, I, 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 didn't, I didn't use that phrase. 
Um, and I said, no, she, she sort of said, uh, no, I've never been you know, an actor. I was a fanny merchant all my life. And I, I was like a sex worker. And she was you no know, like a midwife. That was her term for a midwife. <laughs> but because she, she had these amazing expressions and I knew she, looked, she would look incredible on camera. So that's... Um, yeah, and I was really, really drawn to her. And she's, she's, yeah, she's an amazing character. So um, I thought she'd be perfect for the part. And she was. Yeah. Um, and the, the architect... Would you find him? Oh, he's a, he was in a friend's short film, um, but he, he's been in, I think, around probably more, actually, but the last time I read 76 feature films. He was in Star Wars and Witness, and he was actually in a film uh, on, strangely enough, when I flew over here the first time for the Biennale, he was on actually one of the, um, one of the films that were on, was on, uh, uh, the, uh, yeah, the, on Emirates, I'm sorry, advertising Emirates, um, <laughs> on, the, on the flight, so that was quite odd. Interesting role. So you do all the casting, and then yeah. you, you make the, the scenes that we can see. Yeah. You shoot it, you write everything. It's, it's a big undertaking. How long does something like I Am the Architect actually take you? Well, it's a huge end? collaboration with directors of photography like David Little. I mean, he really had a creative input into it, so there's a lot of handing it over as well. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, I'm privileged working for people who help you fulfill your vision. It's, a, you know, it's, it's quite a journey. Um, the set build took about a month and the shoot takes one week and it's very, very, very intensive one week. You know? um, yeah, and then the edit, it takes about two weeks. Hectic. And uh, we've got another track now to take from Uncle John. So what, what is Mary Hill and White Lock? And White Lock. Lock. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, let's not forget White Lock. Yeah, I mean, just for them, yeah. <laughs> and Mary Hill Vibes, what's that all about? Um, well, I think it's about it's an area in Glasgow which is it sort of straddles the sort of very rich area of of Glasgow with the West End, and then there's Mary Hill, which is a really industrial area, which is really rough. It kind of play like the vibe of it. It's the kind of place where you're scared that you might get stabbed uh, when you walk through. I mean, um, I can imagine people in Mary Hill if they hear this, they'll kill me saying that. But there, there's a joke that there's a, there's an industrial canal that runs through it, and there's. Um, shopping trolleys in the canal and then the nickname for them are Mary Hill Lobster Pots and I think that kind of best, <laughs> best sums up the kind of area but I, I absolutely adore the band yeah. right, on FBN 94.5 broadcasting live from Carriage Works come join us if you wish we're down the western end uh, past the Anna Schwartz Gallery and my guest today is Henry Coombs an artist who has an exhibition going on behind us Uncle John and Whitelock Mary Hill Vibes
some Mary Hill vibes on your radio on this dreary Thursday. FBI 94.5 is the station you're tuned into, and we are here in front of a live audience at the Carriage Works. <laughs> and the, There's loads of people. <laughs> they're sitting a bit too far away from the microphones. There's heaps, I swear. Um, and my guest today is Henry Coombs, an artist who has a artwork video behind us. And... You, you deigned to go back to your art school after a few years and give a talk. And in your talk, you were talking about failure. And you said, my interest in objects, artworks, and films are artifacts that have failure in them. And in the moment where there's failures, those moments become portholes into the artist's human condition and are often the most successful bits in a work. What do you really mean about that? God, that sounds quite intelligent. I, it <laughs> yeah, I don't it know. was all in the tone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That was like some quantum guy. leap happened and someone else possessed me. Um, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I think, I think it's a kind of a fear of failure that stops people being creative, I think. And giving yourself permission to make work, but failure is where the most magical things can happen within the creative process. An example would be, um, uh, you know, the... the the music in Space Odyssey 2001 wasn't meant to be that music. Stanley Kubrick actually had... He was waiting for the score to come, but then picked up the track and put it on. So that, like, it was a moment where you're, you're, you're embracing accidents you know, and trapping accidents, and um, there's a momentum to the work. Um, I, and I think when work has its own momentum in that way, it has its own power. You're sort of handing over to the medium, and you're actually really respecting the medium that you're using. Um, I mean, I can think of it in my own work. Um, for instance, I did a piece called Laddie and the Lady, which was about a golden retriever on a, on a pheasant shoot. But the, the actor was, it was an actor playing a dog, a golden retriever. And, um, yeah, uh, I wrote it as a talking part and, and couldn't understand why it wasn't working and then suddenly realised that actually dogs don't talk. <laughs> so it was, you know, and through that, and, and it completely adapted and changed the script and... Um, the, the direction of the actors and the whole set. So it's, it's embracing, it's, it's being in the moment and being able to embrace what's in front of you. Mm-hmm. And was that film a breakthrough film for you? Uh, it was the first film I made post-art college with a crew, so said, I, would, I would say it was. I actually worked with an actor called Kevin McIsaac, who has now emigrated to Australia as well, so... Yeah. Quite nice. I guess the failures don't necessarily happen inside the artwork all the time. I remember we were, we were just talking about how sometimes people, uh, when, they, when they see your artwork, they read something into it that is completely not put there by you and that you might not have actually intended to have as part of your the, the desired reading of the artwork. When does that happen for you? Well, I don't know when it happens, but I hope it happens. I mean, in terms of, I mean, everyone comes to a piece of work and the meaning of the work's not within the work, it's with the perception of the person and their memories and, you know, uh, I mean, I think so in a way. I mean, if, if the work doesn't, you know, if the work doesn't inspire anything or provoke anyone to feel anything, then it's failed and if it does, it's great. And if it does, it's because it, it's provoked something personal. I mean, I like my work to be quite intimate in that way, the way it's read. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've got a track now to take from Trout. Sugar and Salt is the name of this song. Yeah. And why did you pick this track? Because um, they were a band that just sort of appeared and disappeared, and they were just incredible. Um, I think the guy uh, wrote the song when he, in Glasgow when he was, like, 16. Um, and I think it's just lyrical genius. Um, you know, just a song about sugar and salt and what is the difference.
On FBI 94.5, my guest today is Henry Coombs on Out of the Box, and he is an artist working across mediums of film, painting, and sculpture, and one of his films is exhibiting behind us as part of the 19th Biennale of Sydney. There's a track you just heard is called Sugar and Salt from Trout, and you saw Trout live. What was that like? Yeah, it was incredible. The, the, the lead singer um, had a, a pint of milk and a guitar, and he was apologizing for not having his pick and which I couldn't understand what the problem was and then he started to play and he cut his fingers so he was bleeding and drinking a whole pint of milk in, in real grim Glasgow singing a song about sugar and salt and it was just the most god that says something about me I just thought it was the most magical thing I've seen <laughs> uh, and it really stuck with me and you know you've only done three tracks which are really so- short and you know yeah they're kind of a bit of a legendary band, I think, in Glasgow. Yeah, it was a really fun track. And um, before we threw to the Trout track, we were talking about that talk that you did at art school, and you have mentioned that it takes five years to shake the monster of art school off your back. And I'm wondering why that is, and what, what's the monster like? Well, I guess, I mean, art school's important, but I guess it's, it's just people looking over your shoulder. You know, when you're making work or doing anything, or any, what anyone does, if, you know, they've been into an institution, you've got your peers, you've got the tutors, you've got the pressure. I mean, art school, you know, and everything, they, they encourage you to make work about themes and what your work is. Well, I think your work should be about your life and to be able to shake that off so it's actually about your experience and your life rather than, you know, like, a, like themes and packaging yourself. Actually, that's really interesting because um, I remember this um, one of your videos is called I Am Johnny and it's, it's based on, no, Just Say Cheese, also based on this guy called Johnny who was at your art school who created the worst painting ever because he was trying to put these themes and issues into his work. Can you tell us a little bit about the worst painting in the world? Well, I, mean, I, didn't, I didn't think it was the worst painting in the world, but I'm seeing much oh, worse. I've gotten that rumour about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The art, but what I like about it, because the painting was so subversive that Glasgow School of Art couldn't show it in an exhibition. Um, and it prided, you know, it prided itself, you know, the college prides itself on um, never censoring anything because it's so open-minded. But yeah, he, I think he, 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 did a, he wanted a painting with issues in it. So he went off and got a photograph of a starving Ethiopian family, as you do and um, painted it was you know awful folk, an awful scene of a, a family, starving family and he got the proportions all wrong so um, the baby was really far away from the mother's teeth so he extended the teeth to reach the you know the, uh, the child's mouth and he exhibited it in sort of, I think it was the second year show and, and the tutors were just like oh my god you, we can't show this you've completely regressed Johnny and you know the, the painting was taken away and then it was uh, kept in a friend's flat where we used to go round and um, um, drink whiskey and smoke dope. And then everyone would get high and then, and then get to a certain point. Everyone going, oh, pull out, just say cheese. And they'd come out and roll Which out. Which is the, the name of the worst painting in the world. Yeah, and roll out the painting and everyone would sort of like die of hysterics. That was the, yeah, that was the kind of whole... Uh, the, other, the idea of, it was awful. The idea of just say cheese was it was like a family photograph. Yeah, that was the that was the, the title. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so yeah, it was a. Yeah. Why did you want to make a video about that whole thing then? Oh, because I had to do an ex. It was like a nightmare. I had to do an exhibition uh, at Glasgow School of Art in the in the gallery, going back to my old college. Um, so it, it kind of just inspired a story and characters. But it was a bit of a nightmare because I'd done my degree show and it went well and it felt like it was a re- I had to go back and make the work again and live up to that standard or something. So I decided to make a work about Just Say Cheese. <laughs> to sort of, you know, maybe, maybe to comment on that. Nice. Storytelling. And uh, we've got a track here from Amazing Snakeheads. Why did you want to pick something from this um, band? I, I just seen them live recently and they really excited me. They were just, they were just so unapologetically Scottish. You know, like like almost like deep fried hackers and sniffing think- glue. It was just, <laughs> it was just like wow. The guy's singing in a, in a, you know, he looks Scottish. He's singing in a Scottish accent. It had a mixture between a sort of house music and uh, you know, uh, rock band stuff. And they, you know, they took their their shirts off. They had shit tattoos. They were drinking <laughs> butt fast, and there was this real energy. 
and I got, I got so jealous because it was just like he was, they were singing tracks and it was I just imagined what it must be like to like you know sing a track and the crowd to go wild well you know when you do a painting you can't like five years ago you can't sort of hold it up on the stage and show people and they all go wild yeah because like no, there's no connection with people like that you know Absolutely. there's no visceral connection mm. in it and um yeah I, I saw them live and I was just like oh wow yeah, because I, 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 I haven't gone to gigs for a long time, and I was like, it, it was just. And the last time I felt like that was that Uncle John and Whitelock, was the last time I, I, I felt that feeling. It was just, it was just, yeah, a really, really great band. Hectic. And this track is called "Here It Comes Again" on FBI ninety four point five. We're broadcasting today live from the Carriage Works, not the Carriage Works, just Carriage Works. And uh, we're up the western end. If you want to come join us, it's uh, Parsi in a Schwartz Gallery. And my guest today is Henry Coombs. Yeah, 94.5. That was a track from the amazing Snakeheads. Here It Comes Again is the name of that song. And we were given a question for Henry Coombs, who is my guest today on Out of the Box, from someone in the audience called Josie from Newtown. And she wants to know, how did Henry first get into art? Um, I found it very hard to communicate as a child. So I used to, in you know, school, I used to paint a lot and draw. Um, so I guess it 
and I was kind of encouraged to do it um, and you went to by a, family. Sorry, and you went to a boarding school, yeah? Yeah. Is it hard to create art in a boarding school? I mean, you're constantly surrounded by, by people. Um, yeah, no, I wasn't making art in boarding school. Mm-hmm. I was sort of avoiding getting punished and <laughs> playing ping pong and masturbating. I think that was... <laughs> I think that was my experience of boarding school. There was no sort of watercolour there or anything like that. It was much more sordid. <laughs> and uh, another thing that Josie wanted to ask yeah. you is when you first decided that you can call yourself an artist or when someone first referred to you as an artist and you got that kind of buzz, that you knew that this was your, your thing, that you were really an artist. Uh, that never happened. Never happened? You described something that never happened. and never got a buzz. <laughs> I basically the best way I've ever heard it put was I, I'm an artist filmmaker it depends on the funding application <laughs> you know like I'll be whatever you want me to be for the funding application but I, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't see myself as an artist I, like, I, mean, I wouldn't refer to myself as an artist that's really um, interesting why not I, I, I refer to my, myself as a maker and why I mean, not I, I, mean, I, don't, I, I don't sort of like do that on a first date I'm a maker <laughs> I make Maker things. of love. I'm maker of love. I'm not an artist. You know? um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I just, yeah, it just feels odd. It doesn't feel right. I don't really, yeah. I don't, is it because I, there's an expectation attached to being an artist, or is anything like that? I just that? don't know if it exists anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, like my idea of what an artist is. I mean, I think that's more, I almost feel like that's something that should be decided after you, you've died. I don't know. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I Posthumously just, an artist. Yeah, I don't mm-hmm. know. And I can't explain why. Well, just it doesn't sit. I always cringe when I fill out visa forms and stuff like that. <laughs> you know, artist. You know, I don't know. I don't know. It's never sat that well with me. That's really interesting. And you, you are doing more than just being an artist these days. You're studying for cognitive behavioural therapy. Yeah. Is is there something in your artistic life that kind of directed you that way? Is there, is there any relation there? Mm, probably not, no. I mean, I'm studying therapy because I, I want to do it as a parallel career to my art practice. And, you know, um, so I keep, I, I keep both separate, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very separate. Yeah. And you know, I mean, I mean, I, I mean I, like I don't shoehorn um, sort of psychological things into my, into my work. Uh-huh. They come. They happen very instinctively, and I, I like the fact there's mystery connected to it. That I, I'm, I'm not illustrating ideas. It comes from instinct. It doesn't come from, it doesn't come from theory. Okay, so you're not going to be a cognitive behavioural art therapist. No, no. I think there's, um, yeah. No, no. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be that. Right. I, there wouldn't be any clients. <laughs> you know, there wouldn't be anyone to help. Really, I don't know. And uh, we've got another track here. From Lead Belly, where did you sleep last night? This is part of your wider theme of men in crisis. So, what's the what's the deal with this song? I, I just love the the journey of the story. It, it, it takes you on a, a, a really really visual story. It's almost like you know you close your eyes and you see a film, and you, you can really feel his. I don't know. You can really feel his distress, or you know, you can really identify with it. Um, I just love music that tells stories, and I think this is one of the greatest. Black girl, black girl, don't lie to me. Tell me where did you sleep last night? In the pond, in the pond, where the sun never shines. I wish she would all night through. Black girl, black girl, where will you go? I'm gone but a cold wind blows In the pond, in the pond While the sun never shines I will shiver all night through Black girl, black girl Don't lie to me Tell me where did you sleep last night In the pond in a pond where the sun never shines, I wish you were all night through. My husband was a real man, 
kill a mile and a half from here. His head was found in a driver's wheel, and his body haven't been found. You called me to moan, you called me to leave my home. On FBR 94.5, we are joined by Henry Coombs live as we broadcast from Carriage Works. And uh, we have another question from the audience. We've got a live audience here. Hey, guys. Woo! <laughs> and Anna, who uh, is on her first day of work experience here at the Carriage Works, says, in your work, I am the architect, which is exhibiting as part of the Biennale, which you can come visit here if you would so desire. In your work, the, I am the architect, you get the sense that it is a descent into art. Do you see art that way? Do you think you have to let go of your control in order to make art? I, I think that's one, one approach. I think there's lots of different approaches, you know. Whatever suits you, as long as it's truthful. I think it's important that work's truthful and... Um, um, yeah, I, 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 for me, my work, I have to hand it over to to, to the medium and the you know the things that are happening in front of me and and you know like the, the, Werner Herzog talked about a film and one of the most important directors is the, the, the he calls it the sort of I think the second director is the environment you know it's the rain it's the rainforest and it's all those things that impact on the film and the characters and for me it, it's almost I keep that in mind when building sets that. That the sets and the situations and these different people that you're putting together, you know, dictate the 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 feeling and actually what happens within the film. So you prefer not to feel like you're in control of everything. No, 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 because when I'm in control of everything, it's a disaster. <laughs> Do you know when you try and control people, places, and things, it, yep. it, it's a disaster. And is that part of what I am the architect is about? Yeah, I think so, because I think it's based on the, sort of my father, who's a modernist, ar- was an architect. And that's the idea of like, trying to control everything and how, how you can't. The human condition always comes in. Mm-hmm. And, so, and that, I think that's kind of, for me, a lack of acceptance. Actually, your, your father sounds like a pretty interesting character. So he's yeah. an atheist who sent you to a Christian boarding school and yeah. was, a, was a staunch atheist. Yeah. Does he have a big impact on a lot of your artworks? Um... Yeah, he's actually a really, he's actually, I think he's got a really good eye, you know, as an artist, you know, you know of art and of the arts and stuff. In that sense, he has a big impact, uh, particularly in this film, yeah. Well, well, he, I guess he was in, con- he was very much in control of what we did as a family. So in that sense, yeah, everything that, that's had an impact on me, on my, you know, perception and everything has been because of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, another one of your video works that I've seen is called Gralic. Is that how I pronounce it? Yeah, it's, uh, yeah it means it's Gaelic for uh, gutting of a stag, uh, mm-hmm. you know, male deer. Yeah, you've got a lot, of, uh, a lot of your work centers around animals or actors yeah. as animals. Why do you tend to use that in a few of your pieces? Um, I think because when I was a child, I used to go shooting and hunting with my father and, and family and, you know, as a, you know, go along with him as a child and... I, th- I think I felt a greater connection to the animals than I did to the people. Um, it's fat, you know, just it's, it's such an r- amazing, rich thing to see, you know, as a child. Mm-hmm. And in Gralic, there's there's a human face inside a inside yeah. a fake skull, I suppose. So, can you can you tell us a bit about the making of Gralic? It's quite a it's a simple video in a lot of ways. I mean, it takes place all in one one situation on a hillside, but there's a there's a lot going on in the inside the carcass I suppose and I guess this is a little bit of a warning if you're queasy you might want to tune out for a second yeah it was based on an etching by Edward Lancer that I was doing drawings from Edward Lancer who was a, uh, an art, Victorian artist who um, really helped create the artifice of the kind of Scottish highlands you know the aristocrats using the, you know, the highlands as, as, and then the animals as a kind of 
symbolism for like you know endurance and heroicness um and i was doing work responding to that and he had it he had a, he had a painting called uh, uh stag, stag at glen tilt a shot stag so i did a drawing on that and that's where the kind of the image of the skull came from i responded to that so what it was gralic is um is it's a ritual that happens when a stag is shot the stag is gutted and the guts are left and the entrails are left on the hill for the uh, scavengers like foxes or birds of prey to eat and it means that the, the stag can be taken off the hill on a pony uh, without breaking the pony's back because it's lighter um, and, it, and it's, uh, the gamekeeper does it after the, the stag is shot and it's a kind of very traditional ritual the other thing is if it's not done the, the stomach explodes in about um, half an hour and you've got a friend of yours to uh, be in, in the cast for this. Yeah. Uh, a Buddhist priest? Yeah, he's a, he's a... Well, yeah, I think he describes himself as a Buddhist monk. He said he was reincarnated. Um, he was a prince in his former life. I find that... But, like, it's really weird. Everyone who's reincarnated always was a prince or something really interesting. <laughs> they never, like, you know, like... Never just some guy. Or, you know, like a bit of gravel or something. It's always something, like... Yeah. And never a CEO or anything like that. No, 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 no. It's always something really exciting, yeah. Yeah. And I found it interesting that, you know, this this Buddhist priest was okay with being put in a hole in the ground to, uh, to act the part of the, I guess, the inside of the animal. And how, how did that work? So you had the body of the stag on the outside of the hill. Yeah, we had... We had a, sorry, you had... A, yeah. Um, a, a stag was taken and shot from a, a farm, a venison farm um, in Scotland and then taken up on a hill on a quad bike um, decapitated then the mask and the neck was artificial mask and the neck were attached to the, the real stag then we dug a hole put the Buddhist monk in it and he stuck his head up through the mask and then, yeah, and then we only had a certain amount of time to shoot it because the stomach was going to explode. Um, it's pretty full on. And then we had three cameras. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And apparently, according to the cameraman, it was shot like a porno video <laughs> because it was a live action thing, oh, you know, dear. with three cameras. I mean, I don't, not that I've shot porn, but he had shot porn, so like, he said it was the same kind of setup, which I found quite strange. Interesting set of contacts you have there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, so we've got another track to take now. I think we might take the one from Biggie Smalls. What do you reckon? Yeah, go ahead, yeah. All right, and why this track? Um, is it the one from Nick Bloomfield's documentary? Where, when he's 17 years old. I just saw him live doing it, and it just, it just, it was just so exciting. I just, I just found it so exciting, sort of mm-hmm. seeing that, that amount of raw talent. I assume that we have a language warning in this one, not quite sure, but, yep, I think we've got some swear words coming up, so if you're yeah. sensitive, maybe turn it down for a second. On FBI 94.5, we're down at the Carriage Works doing Out of the Box with Henry Coombs, and this is a track brought along by him. It's a freestyle from Biggie Smalls. we've got a uh, question from an audience member didn't didn't grab that name but thank you and uh, they're wondering you mentioned how you depend a lot on grants to fund your art do you ever feel limited in your practice because of this and do the people or groups providing you grants have any influence on the direction of your work um well no if i get grants and funds it's it's amazing and actually 
the people that I've been funded by, like Creative Scotland, which is probably the equivalent of the Australian Council of the Arts, um, have been they're really really open. Just like you know, obviously they've allowed you know allowed me to make what I want and actually have um, you know back that vision and the application. So when I get funding, it's um, uh, yeah a great thing. Um, the problem is, is when you don't get funding mm-hmm. and you can't get be expected to get lottery funding every year. I mean, that's just ridiculous. So it's the, it's the times in between to make films. And it, is, is, uh, it can be a struggle, but then I don't know if, if money necessarily makes good art, really. Mm-hmm. But I guess for things like film, you do need a certain yeah. amount of resources and stuff like that. Do you ever find yourself being unable to make art because you're unfunded? recently I went through this patch like that actually and then suddenly realised that actually there's this you can get this slight sort of slight conceit that that because you're going up a ladder that you should be making the next film with the same amount of budget or more so you don't make anything but actually what you got you there in the beginning and often what's your best work with the most failure the most accidents in it the most imperfection the most everything came from nothing came from no money at all came from you know, just a desire and a passion to make work, and I think you can be—you've re- got to be really careful that you don't forget that. So, I—I I, and get very complacent as well. So I, I always return to shooting something on a mobile phone. Yeah. You know, or, you know, because it's, it's a different thing. It's a more intimate thing if you're doing it by yourself rather than um, doing it, you know, with a camera crew. Mm-hmm. But to be to be honest, the big, the big, the big, uh, the big. The bigger films, in terms of like I Am the Architect, that require a budget and require funding, I almost view them as kind of almost like big canvases, as if a painter does a really, really big painting commission. Mm-hmm. Um, and in between that, everything else is still, I still value greatly. It's almost like sketch work mm-hmm. towards that. That's great. And uh, I think one thing that I find really interesting is that you use your mates a lot of the time for video work, and, and one of them is Gordon, a 70, oh, yeah. 75-year-old nudist. Yeah. And how did you meet Gordon, and, and how did you end up getting him in your works? Well, I, I got selected when I was 29 to re- uh, represent Scotland in the Venice Biennale, and we had like three months to do the work, so I just shat myself. Um, and, and I was with a group of artists in it who were older than me, and older than me, and not some of them not very friendly, to be honest. Well, not very friendly artists. I mean, that's a surprise, isn't it? Yeah. Um, uh, and he, so I thought, oh god, what shall I do? And I thought I'll do a painting. And I thought, right, I need to study the figure because I don't know enough about the figure. And so I, I contacted the art school, and they go, oh yeah, we've we've got a life model. So this life model came to my. Uh, studio so it was just me and Gordon and um, I decided I went to him can you do an angry face for me because for some reason I mean this was in a real panic about trying to produce work for the Venice Bernali and he pulled an angry face and it was the most absurd face expression I've ever seen and I was just like that's fucking magic sorry I'm not allowed to say that Um, that, that's fudging magic and and fudging magic. I didn't say that aloud. So then I started filming him and doing all these videos with him, and um, yeah, and he got really frustrated because he couldn't get his clothes off because <laughs> he just wanted to get all his clothes off the whole time. So eventually, I was just like, "Oh, just take your clothes off," <laughs> and then say, so, "Yeah," and then realised I needed to get curtains. <laughs> um, yeah, so he's been in, he's been in a lot of films, but um, yeah, naked in all of them. Yeah, yeah, naked in all of them. Um, he, he always goes on nudist holidays um, and stuff. And yeah, he's, he's really, really, really serious about it. Yeah, it's not it's yeah. interesting. And, and what's his philosophy behind being a nudist then? Like, why, why so serious about it? Well, I don't know enough about it, but um, oh, I think I think he thinks it's just a natural right. It's a natural state that, that he should be allowed to sort of be in. Mm-hmm. I kind of I kind of agree with him if he's not upsetting anybody, you know. And, for it yeah I mean like if there's no families with kids around <laughs> you know in the park you know but he goes off you know to specific places apparently like tons of lawyers and judges do it and stuff like that you know cross section of society all with their all in Scotland yeah yeah interesting with their uh, not the best climate with their, for it with their tackle out <laughs> and um Ooh. but he, he used to get sort of like 
he used, sometimes he used to get a bit like excited. That was a bit, yeah, <laughs> oh, really, yeah. yeah, yeah, too enthusiastic. Yeah, too enthusiastic. Mm-hmm. That was a bit nerve wracking. All right, we're going to track now uh, from <laughs> Smog. We'll see if I can get this one to work. Well, you muse on that last point. <laughs> now, rock bottom riser. Why do you want to pick this track in particular off that excellent album? A river ain't too not too much to love. Um, because. You know when you hear, hear music and then someone says, does he say, I love my sister, I love my mother? And it kind of just makes you feel that. Mm. It's really, really beautiful. We know when music actually, you actually just feel what they're saying. It's just, I mean, yeah. 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 Dulcet tones of Bill Callahan coming at you on FBI 94.5. We are broadcasting live today. Probably where it's a little bit echoey. Um, we were in Carriage Works down the very western end in front of a live audience. Hey, guys. poor form guys (laughs) I love my mother I love my father love my sisters too I bought this guitar to pledge my love to pledge my love to you And I owe it all to you I am a rock bottom riser And I owe it all I saw a gold ring at the bottom of the river glinting at my foolish heart. No, my foolish heart had to go diving, diving. Diving, diving into the murk. And from the bottom of the river, I looked up for the sun, which had shattered in the water, and the pieces were raining down. Like gold rings That passed through my hands As I thrashed and I grabbed I started rising, rising, rising left my mother I left my father I left my sisters too I left them standing on the banks and they pulled me out This mighty, mighty, mighty river I am a rock Bottom riser 
love my mother I love my father I love my sisters too I bought this guitar to pledge my love Pledge my love to you Gorgeous stuff just there from Smog, aka Bill Callahan. Rock Bottom Riser is the name of that track, one of the many tracks of Men in Crisis theme that we've had yeah. today on Out of the Box. Thank you for bringing so many Men in Crisis tracks our way today. Pleasure. <laughs> Indeed, it has been. And uh, well, we, we haven't got long left on the show. Soon Beth's going to be taking you out to lunch. Yeah. Uh, shout outs to Beth. Hey. Because we're broadcasting live from Carriage Works, so we'll cross over her in a second. But last, lastly, before we go, we usually like to ask people who come on out of the box their pub story because sometimes there's that, that little story that's you know interesting that yeah. doesn't really quite come through in your career, and we look a lot at careery yeah. things. So, what's what's your pub story? Um, yeah, I, I've had to think about this, and then I don't know why I'm telling this story. Um, I think uh, we're not interrailing around Europe when I was 17, 18. And um, we went, a group of uh, three of us, all public school boys pretending not to be. Um, we, uh, we went to a, a, a cafe in Amsterdam to smoke. Dope. I guess we'll have to stop there and have a content warning oh, and right. then continue. So if, you're, <laughs> if you need any kids to tune out of the radio, I don't, I don't know. Anyway, please continue. Do you want me to continue? Yeah, no, I just got a content warning hand oh, signal. Oh, right, okay, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I went to Amsterdam and to do what you do in cafes in Amsterdam. And the guy went up to the... A friend went up to the bar and he was like, can I have a coffee? And the man was like, would you like something else? And he winked at him and said, I'll have that something else. And it was really embarrassing because you didn't need to do that. You just bought, got a menu and you could get whatever, you know... Uh, spliff you wanted I don't know I don't I don't smoke at all and so we bought the stuff and um, we were all all sitting around smoking it and it was ridiculously strong and uh, we went into what's termed in Britain as a whitey immediately which is going pale white and for me I've been eating food like picnic food and I hadn't had a had a had a um uh the shit for about three weeks so it was like a laxative so I ran to the toilet and in, in Amsterdam this cafe they have this, something like the continental shelf where when you do a, a jobby it lands on the shelf so you can look at it and I did the biggest jobby man has ever done it was like it was like the size of a subway or a baguette and I, I came out and I was sweating in fear and panic because I was high almost hallucinating and my friend Ollie I looked at him and was pale and I was just like Ollie I've just done the biggest shit in the world and, and, and Ollie was just like oh my god and he, look, he looked at the cafe owner and he was just like he's going to kill us and he goes I'll go in there and like, the complete irrationality being high I'll go in there and sort it out <laughs> so he went into the loo and, and had to deal with it came out sweating in complete fear pale white he was like, I had to break it in half and he goes, I need to get some fresh air. So he, he went outside to get some fresh air. Anyway, I'm completely panicking. In about 45 minutes, he returns and he's in tears. And I was like, well, what happened? He goes, oh, you won't believe it. I was outside and I was walking and I was, I was you know, fumbling around and I... I, I knocked into someone and it was this old man and he fell over on the floor and, I, I, and he was panicking and he was screaming and he, I thought it was going to attack me so I pinned him to the floor and I looked around and everyone was laughing at me and I looked around and his willy was out and he was peeing in everywhere I go what? and he, he'd walked past a tramp peeing against the wall knocked him over 
and then just pinned him to the floor. <laughs> so, like, you know, by accident. So then he came back, and then... Yeah, then he came back. Anyway, about 15 years later, there was a, 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 a man called Ollie with his surname, which I won't mention, with a really particular surname. And my mum said, oh, it's, it's your old friend who I lost contact with. The one who knocked the guy over. Yeah, the one who knocked the guy over. And he, he had done research this, on the radio, Radio 4. He, he'd done research and made some real huge medical breakthroughs in um, medication for AIDS in Africa. So I was like, oh, wow, Ollie's achieved all this stuff. So I sent him an email saying, I knew you were going to go a long way from the man that knocked over the tramp and pinned him down and, and got rid of the biggest poo ever. <laughs> and the guy replied saying, that, that Ollie so-and-so sounds like he had a much more interesting life than me and it wasn't him. <laughs> and I just, contact, you know, I randomly contacted this Oxbridge um, professor and sort of told him that, yeah, he handled my jobby, you know? <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, yeah, that was a really difficult... Yeah, sorry, on the end of that note. <laughs> on that o- note. O- over to that Beth woman, whoever. <laughs> on that note, you listen to FBI 94.5. Out of the Box is the name of the show. Thank you so much, Henry Coombs, for being our guest today. And if you want to get in touch with Henry, maybe to uh, help work on a video. Probably want to get in video. touch with me now. Yeah. <laughs> Probably not, not look, but give it a go. Right, how, okay. how do people get in touch with you? Sorry? How do people get in touch with you? Oh, I've got a website, um, uh, www.henrycoombs.co.uk, and there's a contact page there, and you can see a lot of my work there. Great stuff. I hope you enjoy it. And I'd like to thank Nisa Mackey from the 19th Biennale of Sydney for helping put everything together here. Carolyn Gates, the program director of FBI Radio. Cree Leitner from Carriage Works, because uh, we've been doing a special live broadcast from here today. And Harvey Sullivan with his tech skills, keeping us on the air. And thanks to the super producers of the show, Laura Briley, Zasha Rosen, Josephine Wright, and Jessica Hamilton, who's jumped on board with us today. Thanks a bunch, Lady Fresh. And uh, my name's Ash Berdebez, and if you have a guest suggestion for our show, my Twitter handle is AshBERD, and uh, Beth Dalglish is back in the FBI studio, and she'll be taking you out to lunch in just a bit. And a big thanks to you fine folk for joining us here at the Carriage Rocks today. Thanks. All right, and the last track that we've got today is from Talking Heads. Any particular reason you picked this one? Uh, it's just a great sort of transcendental song. I just I love it. Beautiful stuff. Yeah. Right, thanks for coming on the show.
the box. Out of the box. Out of the box. Out of the box. Meet people through their music. With Ash Bertabez on FBI.